The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight back to Acts chapter 8. We concluded last week by looking at Saul, how Saul approved of Stephen's execution. We'll pick up tonight, continuing that story after that persecution involving Stephen. That's on page 916 in the Pew Bibles. And I hate to disappoint the cardophiles out there in our congregation tonight, uh, those who, who love maps, uh, but uh, I have included a map in our, our bulletin tonight. I, I have a few people, there are always some people who get excited when they see a map in the bulletin, and I hate to disappoint you, I'm not going to say that much about the map tonight, except to point out maybe two things. And one is that we are beginning a new section in the book of Acts. Everything so far has been focused on Jerusalem. And you can see Jerusalem there in the map, that it's located just to the west of where the Jordan River meets the Dead Sea. It was probably about a distance of 20 miles from there. And Jerusalem is the place where the disciples gathered after the ascension of Jesus. Jerusalem is the place where the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon them. It's where the the number of the the believers multiplied exponentially in those early days. And Jerusalem is the place where the opposition ratcheted up and leading to the, the death, the martyrdom of Stephen. Now, the story of Acts is moving out. It's moving out from Jerusalem. It's moving out into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. The scene is changing at this point in the book of Acts, and you can see the landscape, the geography of that on the map. Second thing I'll point out, the gospel's moving to Samaria. Samaria's right there. If you can find Samaria on the map, it's, it's labeled in bold print. Samaria's right there. It's not very far at all from Jerusalem. It would have been a distance maybe of about 35 miles. It was a, uh, if you took the most direct route there, it, it may have taken a couple of days on foot to get there. Samaria was near Jerusalem on the map. But in reality, there is a gaping divide between those two places. There's a vast chasm, ethnically, religiously, culturally, between Jerusalem and Samaria. But in Acts chapter 8, what we find is that the gospel goes to Samaria, and it is received there. And what I want us to see in these verses are three things. The first point will be that uh, is near but far away. Secondly, far away, but brought near. And then thirdly, near, but not far enough. So those will be our three points tonight. Before we read God's word, let's pray and ask his help and blessing on our reading and studying. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way your word is living and active and how it goes out. It does not stay still. And that it pierces not only into the into our own hearts and inclinations, but it pierces into the world around us. And we need your word to go out with power tonight, that we would hear it here, and that you would equip us to take your word wherever you send us, whether, whether it is near or far, whether it is Belhaven or Honduras. We, we need your help. 
And so we pray that you would give it to us, that you would be glorified, that we would see Christ. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 8, starting in the, first, or in the second half of verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I'm, I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So first, near but far away. So the action shifts from Jerusalem to Samaria, and it was persecution. It was persecution against the church in Jerusalem that scattered the church throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And you read about it, we read about it in verse 2 and 3, about how the men buried Stephen and made a lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and going from house to house and dragging people into prison, and that sent the church out. It sent the church out to Judea and Samaria. Judea, Samaria, they were neighbors, but they were not close. They, they were not only connected by an adjacent geography, they were also linked by a complicated history. They were linked together even by a common family lineage. 
but there was no love lost when it came to the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. When, when people hear the word Samaritan today, and we do hear the word Samaritan uh, a good bit today in, in the news, we'll hear stories about someone who uh, helped someone on the side of the road. They, they did a good deed for a stranger. They were a good Samaritan. And so the word Samaritan has a positive connotation today. In fact, if you look it up in the thesaurus, you'll find uh, similes to the, or synonyms to the word Samaritan that includes Boy Scout, helping hand, good neighbor. That's because of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 10 about the good Samaritan, about the man who went out of his way to help the man who, had been injured, who was injured and left for dead on the side of the road. But that's not how the Jewish audience would have thought about a Samaritan in the first century. Good and Samaritan are contradiction of terms in their minds. In fact, that's what packs the punch in Jesus' parable. That's what brings the sting in his story, is that a Samaritan would have been the last person to think of as a good example. The Samaritan would have been the last person to think of as showing kindness to a Jew and vice versa. Because the Samaritans in their minds were half-breeds. They were heretics. They were heathens. In fact, you get a sense of the spiritual condition that existed in Samaria in that time with what we're told about Simon. Simon, it says in verse 9, was one who practiced magic in the city. He practiced magic and he amazed the people of Samaria. Now listen, when we're told that Simon practiced magic, he's not like breaking a deck and having someone pick a card and say, is it the Queen of Diamonds? It's not that kind of magic. This is more like witchcraft. It's the occult. And magic in the Greco-Roman world was all about curses and spells and ritual figurines. In fact, they've even found, a, uh, um, they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls near Jerusalem uh, something that, that is an Aramaic incantation formula. And it may, have been some, it may have come from some kind of magic recipe book that was used at that time. Again, this is not like a sleight of hand. This is more like New Orleans voodoo. This is more like tarot cards and Ouija boards and palm readers. And the people in Samaria thought Simon was great. Verse 10 says, They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. In fact, it almost seems like what's going on here is something like the opposite of what we read in Luke chapter 11. If you remember in Luke chapter 11 when Jesus was casting out demons and he was healing those with unclean spirits, and the people said that Jesus was casting out unclean spirits by the power of Beelzebul. In other words, they were saying that he was casting out demons by a demonic power. Well, here we have Simon. He's performing some sort of demonic magic, and they are all attributing his power to the power of God. This is blasphemous, what they're doing here in Samaria. They're amazed by Simon. He has all of their attentions gripped, and he's made a, he's made a name for himself. He's made his name great in Samaria. And that may not be the full picture. That might not be the full picture of the spiritual conditions in Samaria. I'm sure there were different 
there, there were nuances and, and different spiritualities that existed there at that time. But that was the condition that Philip and the others from the church encountered when they got to Samaria. It was a place that was superstitious and sacrilegious and pluralistic. And it's not like when, you, when we talk about this sort of dark magic, it's not like it just sort of stays in its lane. It spreads out and it infiltrates other parts of the culture. In fact, I was talking to a, a man um, a man after the service this morning. He is in town to, uh, this week to go to a Native American pastor's conference at Twin Lakes. And he's on his way to plant a church in the Navajo Nation, the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. And he was telling me something about the conditions there in the Navajo Reservation, that, it is, that there's, it's full of witchcraft and demon possession and black magic, and that it's a place that's hard and cold and resistant to the gospel. Get that in your mind when you think about the church going to Samaria in Acts chapter 8. They would not have been welcome there. In fact, we were told in the gospel story, in the gospel of Luke, that when Jesus went there, himself went to the villages of Samaria, they rejected him, and they sent him along. What, is, what makes anyone think that when these disciples of Jesus go and take the message about Jesus, that they would receive any better welcome this time? Samaria was far removed from the promises of God. Samaria was far removed from the people of God. They were a lost cause for all anyone thought. This was the far country outside the plan of God. But we're told in verse 4, But Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And so what we find is that Samaria... It's near, but it's far away. But in these verses, what's far away is brought near. And do you remember the question that Jesus' disciples asked him at the very beginning of the book of Acts? It was a big question. It was, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That was a, a big question, and I don't believe that the disciples really, truly understood what they were asking when they asked that question. But that is what the book of Acts is about. It's about restoring the kingdom to Israel. And that begins in Jerusalem. That work begins in Jerusalem with the coming of the Holy Spirit, with the multitudes coming together as one in faith in Jesus Christ. But what Acts is telling us, restoring the kingdom of Israel also includes Samaria. And we, we get hints of this. We, we get uh, the word of this back in the Old Testament in places like Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37 is the, the passage, the chapter, that's well known because it's the, the vision of the dry bones. That's the, that's the part that gets our attention. That's the part that's familiar to us, that everyone remembers. You remember how there was a, a valley of, of dry bones, and there was a rattling of the bones, and they're coming together, and there's flesh and skin that's put upon them and the breath of life comes into the bones and they live again but right after that there's another vision there's there's another acted out parable a, a prophetic sign and what ezekiel is told to do ezekiel is told to take two sticks 
And on these sticks, he, he writes on one, Judah, and on the other, he writes Joseph or Ephraim. And he takes the two sticks in his hands, and they become one stick. They become one stick in his hand. The, the Judah stick and the Ephraim stick become one stick in Ezekiel's hand. And the Lord says in Ezekiel 37, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation. And one king will be king over them. They shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. You see, Ezekiel is talking about the reuniting of Israel and Judah. We have to understand something about the history of, of the Old Testament story to understand what Ezekiel is talking about. Because it was after Solomon, the nation of Israel that had been the 12 tribes ruled by one king, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. There was Israel in the north with Samaria as its capital, and there was Judah in the south with Jerusalem as its capital. And Israel fell to the army of Assyria in 722 B.C., and the king of Assyria resettled the land with people, different people groups from around Israel and those people merged together with the inhabitants that were still there. And so the people of Israel became indistinct. They became lost to history, in a sense. And those were the Samaritans. And they had adopted the practices of the different people that had come in and been resettled there. Then there's Judah, on the other hand. And Judah was carried away captive by the Babylonians some years later. But when they returned from exile, 70 years after that, they maintained some of their distinctiveness. They, they could trace their heritage. They could trace their identity back to the original tribe of Judah. And th those were the Judeans. Those were the Jews that we read about in, in the book of Acts. And yet, according to Ezekiel, it has always been God's plan to reunite the original people of Israel to bring them back together as one people. And what do we have here in chapter 8 of Acts? We have this message that about one king and about one shepherd, and that message is coming to Samaria, to the northern people of Israel, and the two are being brought together as one. And those scattered from Jerusalem preach the word. That Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And what happened? They believed. They believed the message that Philip preached to them. And verse 12 says that they believed Philip and he, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they believed and they were baptized. Even Simon. In some ways, this is like the story of the prodigal son. And the Samaritans were those who had lived in the far country. They had rejected the worship of God. They had given themselves over to the reckless ways of false worship and idolatry. They were cut off from the family of Israel. And yet now, here they are in Acts chapter 8, they're being brought near again. And the believers in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria they are together as one, and there's much joy in the city because of that. This is a major milestone 
It's a major milestone in God's plan of salvation. So much so that the events of Pentecost are now replicated in Samaria. And we have this this episode where the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples in Samaria just like the Holy Spirit had come down on the disciples in Jerusalem. There's this visible demonstration that, yes, the Samaritans have been enfolded into the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus. This is not... Don't, don't take this as some sort of second blessing or higher gifts that, that are, are available to some people. No, this is, this is unique. This is a unique event. And it's saying to us that the gospel is breaking new ground in Acts chapter 8. And the church has arrived in power even in Samaria. Now, that doesn't mean it was without complication. And there was a big complication in this passage. It says that Simon tried to manipulate the Spirit's power for his own benefit. And so if, if, if this passage is for us a sort of Samaritan Pentecost, then it's also in some ways a Samaritan Ananias and Sapphira. And you remember Ananias and Sapphira, how they tried to manipulate the power of God for their own advantage in their hypocrisy. Well, that's what's happening here as well. And it is a fearful thing to trifle with the power of God. It's a fearful thing to try to leverage the Holy Spirit for personal gain. And what Peter says in verse 23 is, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And it turns out that Simon, Simon's faith was not true faith in the first place. And Simon is a toxic presence in the church in Samaria. And what's scary in reading these verses is that we never find that Simon actually repents. In fact, there's some indication uh, in church history that Simon continued to be a problem in Samaria. And he continued to spread heresies even after this time. But whatever the case... The trajectory of the book of Acts and the overall message of this, this section is what we find in verse 25. That the apostles, that Peter, when, when they had testified and spoken of the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Here we have it. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The gospel, the message about Jesus, that he is the Christ that he has established his kingdom with all of its renewing power. It has brought together what was once divided. It has reunited the original people of God just as God had promised and planned. The work was complete. And so the story comes to an end. Or maybe not. Because there's still 20 chapters left in the book of Acts. There's more to do. There's much more to tell. Yes, those who are far away have been brought near. But, the, but also the gospel has not gone nearly far enough. And that's the last thing I want us to see from this passage is near, but not far enough. Jesus had said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria 
And what's the rest of that? Even to the ends of the earth. And that has been God's plan all along. We can trace that plan further back than the prophets, even into the book of Genesis, when God made his promise and covenant with Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you, and by blessing you, you will be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. And the psalmist says, I will be exalted among the nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You see, the word has to keep going out. It has to continue on to the Gentiles. The word has to go to Rome, and even once it gets to Rome, it has to keep going further than that. It can't stop here. It hasn't gone far enough. And that's where we come in. That's where we tie into this story. Because the good news about the kingdom of God and the good news about the name of Jesus is something that still needs to be shared. And there is something that we can learn about the gospel going to Samaria when we think about taking the gospel in the places near and far in our own lives. Alan Jacobs wrote a book a few years ago called How to Think. Uh, it's one of those books that uh, he says it's, it's not easy to give to someone because of what that implies. But he says, in it, he, he references this idea of the, of the near mode and the far mode. And he says, people in the near mode are the ones who are close to us. And we oftentimes judge them in either one of two categories, as possible allies or as dangerous enemies, depending on how different they look and seem to, our, to ourselves. But it's different with those who are in the far mode. And when those who are in far mode, they may be very different from us, very different culturally, religiously, everything, and yet we can view them with a sort of detached interest or curiosity even. They don't seem to stir up as many negative emotions as those who are different from us that are right next door. Well, tonight... We commissioned a group to go and take the gospel to Honduras. And we do that because that's what Jesus tells us to do in the book of Acts. But Honduras is far mode. And I wonder if you would agree with me that it's often easier to take the gospel to people who are far away than it is to take it to people who are nearby. Because they're right here. And they seem so different from us. And what I want us to see, as we conclude from, from the, the story of, of Acts chapter 8, are two things. And one is this, is that we often make the mistake of thinking that the moral conditions of our current culture and of the people around us are far worse than the way it was years ago or even longer than that ago. We think that things are so much worse today than they were before. But what do we find in Samaria? Samaria had the occult and dark magic. The Jews and the Samaritans, they had a division that was worse than anything that we might experience in the divided culture that we live in. They hated one another. They would do anything that they could do to stay away from each other. We're told that in those days that if a Jew was going from Galilee to Jerusalem, they would oftentimes go as far away from Samaria as they could, even crossing the Jordan River to get there. 
So think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What was the background of the people who were in the church in Corinth? Paul says they were sexually immoral, idolaters, drunkards, swindlers, homosexuals. And the gospel went to them. And they believed. See, we can't ignore the people around us just because the culture and their lifestyle make it seem like it is an impossible place for gospel fruit. It would have seemed that way for the people in Samaria as well. But the Samaritans believed the gospel. And the second thing is, when it comes to people who are different and nearby, we can't forget that they're neighbors. And when we put people in the category of the other, or them instead of us, we fail to treat those people as people, as neighbors. But notice what the church does as it goes with the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria. Notice what they did. They went, not victorious, not to save the day, not to win the day. They went in weakness. They went in brokenness. They went because they were harassed and they were persecuted. They were needy. They weren't impressive. They went with weakness. And they went healing the sick and the oppressed. They went with compassion. They, they went to the Samaritans who were right next door and who were anything but neighbors, and they went to them because they had been given a new command and a new perspective by Jesus. And the message of Jesus is for all people. And we may be vastly different from the people who are right next door to us, and there may be a, a, a pile of hard feelings and baggage between us. But they're neighbors. They're neighbors, and we owe it to them. We owe it to Jesus to treat them like it. And if we treat them like it, we treat them like neighbors, if we treat them with respect, if we treat them with compassion, then maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll listen when we say that we love because he first loved us. And God's grace is far greater than anything that you can imagine. And Jesus is worth following no matter what the cost may be to us. Because Jesus the message in Acts chapter 8, Jesus will heal not just our bodies, but he heals our souls. We have good news. We have good news just like the, the church that went to Samaria. It's good news like what I read for our call to worship in Jeremiah chapter 31, that those, in the wilderness, that those found grace in the wilderness and that there is an everlasting love. They were loved with an everlasting love. Think about all those years when Jeremiah Ezekiel is preaching this message about grace in the wilderness and everlasting love with the Samaritans in mind. And all these years later, and here it comes, and we see God's grace does come in the wilderness. And his love is everlasting. And that's good news to our neighbors. It's good news to those who are far off. That's good news for us, isn't it? 
And don't you need to hear that? You may be wandering in the wilderness. You may have been wandering in the wilderness for years, but there's grace in the wilderness. And God's love is an everlasting love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy and faithfulness. Help us to Help us to be moved by it, to be changed by it, to be gripped by it in such a way that where, where you send us, that that would be our message with compassion, with humility, with love for others and love for you. Would Christ be magnified in all that we do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.